Hi folks, Bob Main here. Welcome to another episode of today's survival show. Episode number 260 to be exact. It is my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is a practical prepping and survival show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I just keep this rooted in common sense. I have a special guest this week. A listener by the name of Clay joined he joined me. So Clay is a firefighter in North Carolina. But he, he shared some really good ideas, a couple of war stories about, you know, some of the things he had to do as a firefighter, but he has a very good, unique perspective on prepping and survival and some things that maybe a lot of us don't think about. So it's kind of a mixed bag of topics here. But he did a really good job of, of sharing this kind of stuff with us. And you know, I think it's important that the listeners of this show participate in this show. It's a little bit different than most podcasts you hear. I kind of run my podcast like a forum. I like to uh, invite listeners to participate. So, you know, interview with me on the show or or send in some emails or call into my voicemail at 210-646-1727. So, here we go. Here's Clay from North Carolina. And we just we talked about a good mixed bag of prepping topics. All right, my guest this episode is Clay, and Clay listens to the show, and he decided he had some good information he wanted to share with all of us. He's also a firefighter. Uh, welcome back to the show, Clay. Thank you for having me. Sure, no problem. Um, quite some time ago, uh, Clay was a host on one of my older shows when we talked about. Uh, prepping for your pets so you guys might want to go back and listen to that but right now we got a variety of topics we're going to talk about things like um, executive protection we're going to talk about uh, being a medic because you've got firefighter experience you know we're going to talk about things like um, you got a couple of really good stories to share with us you know mindset and things like that don't you well yeah well any firefighters got stories they got good war stories, but but you got a good point to your stories and some good helpful hints to some of your stories. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's get started with this executive protection stuff. I like that. That's kind of something that I'm um, uh, pretty fond of. Talk a little bit about that. Well, getting into it, um, I basically just read a book off of um, off of my Nook, and I, I've got it linked or. Uh, I'll talk about it later on at the bottom of the show or at the very end. But um, basically, an, uh, an executive protection agent, they have what they call a principle. For them, it's basically anyone that they're protecting, anyone that they're getting paid to protect, or it could be anything. So for us, it's going to be like our friends and family. When we go out to dinner or when we go out to um, to academy sports to get you know some ammo or something like that, you know, when we're with our friends and family, we are their executive protection agent. We just don't really know it yet. Um, what they are protecting, um, they can protect, you know, computers, recipes, documents, stuff like that um, for the, the real uh, agents. But for us, you know, it could be more or less like um, our structures, our, our house, or our vehicles. So your, your principal could be both a who and a thing. Um, along with your principles, you do have threats. So this is anyone or anything that can directly harm the principal. You know, for them, um, and when I say them, I do mean the executive protection agents. Um, it could be, you know, things like assassins or 
you know, hate groups or, you know, whatever they're, whoever they're protecting, their enemy. But for us, burglars, criminals, rapists, anyone that wants to put a foot through our door or, you know, harm our family, um, anything that can directly harm the principal, um, can be storms, you know, exposure to the elements, lack of food, lack of water. And if you look at all that, you go, well, wait a minute, that, that sounds, that kind of sounds familiar. Well, it's because it's what we really discuss in our survival or our communities. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I'll, since we've paused here just for a second, I want to remind everybody something I forgot to mention before you started talking. You are the host of a podcast called the Skilled Gentleman Podcast, which can be found on iTunes if you just search Skilled Gentleman or go to skilledgentleman.com. You'll find it. And I notice you've got a blog post about this at skilledgentleman.com, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to uh, try to get the information out there. I like your philosophy. I like the fact that you believe, you know, you're an executive protection agent for your family or your friends or your structures or your vehicles, whoever you happen to be around. And you have to be able to assess those threats constantly. That's one of the keys, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Now, what do you mean about being a jack-of-all-trades and a master of some? Well, you know, for a while, that used to be a, a good thing, as being a master of, uh, a jack-of-all-trades and, and master of none. Um, and then it became kind of uh, uh, something bad to be called, that you know a lot of stuff, but you don't know how to do it really well. But I'm going to come back and say that it's a good thing to be a jack-of-all-trades. and But you do want to master some things. Uh, one of the things that um, that would be considered would be you want to be a walking map or a walking GPS, whatever you want to call it. Um, mainly, you need to know where you're at and know what's around you. Have really good uh, perception skills, knowing where you know the exits are in, in, in the building, um, knowing that if you walk in the front door of Walmart, there's a back door to Walmart. Because if something happens, gunshots ring out, um, everyone's going to come out the same door they went in. And that's, some, that's Firefighter 101. Um, that's why we know we walk up to a structure. We need to know where everything's at because that front door, that easy access, could really quickly get clogged. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, you know, knowing your routes and then knowing routes around your routes. Um, say, for instance, you are... Uh, going and coming home from work, and there's been a major storm, and you've got a tree that's laying across the road. Well, I, I usually don't carry a chainsaw in my my uh, my vehicle, and I'm trying to get home. Well, I need to know how to get around that. So, you know, knowing routes around your routes. Um, another one, another good thing that you need to know is you know how to be a medic. Being able to quickly heal on the go is something that you can, it's so hard to teach somebody. Um, I've, I've been in the, uh, the fire service long enough to, to know that on the scene of, you know, someone that's just got stabbed, that's not the place to, to go in and, okay, well, I need to check all the vitals. I need to go ahead and, you know, delicately prep the, uh, the, the patient, uh, to get them to transport. Right. That's not the place to do it. Um, just a couple of months ago, it was actually it was pretty pretty cold. I remember uh, getting up in the middle of the night. I was on shift, 
and we got uh, dispatched to a um, an assault. So we get heading down the road in the fire truck, pull up, and police are running around like like ninnies. I mean, they they are going nuts, <laughs> and the ambulance comes flying in behind us, and we were just told um, uh, the uh, the suspect can't be found, and we're like, okay. Well, I'm staying in the truck because I don't want to get stabbed. And we look uh, pretty much like uh, like cops if we don't have our turnout gear on and, you know, everyone's in the heat of the moment kind of thing. I don't want to be misinterpreted as someone that, you know, needs a, a knife in them. So we go rounding the corner, and we had a guy laying on the ground with a pretty substantial um, laceration to the abdomen. Wow, Okay. I mean, it was it was rough. <laughs> he wasn't doing too well. Well, here comes the little paramedics around the corner, and they look at him like, "Oh, good God, we've got to get him moved!" And the cops are still running around, and it, it's chaos. But we're able to pick this gentleman up, lay him on the stretcher, and you know, basically, de-ass the area of operation, get out of there as soon as as soon as possible, and get him in the truck, and then work on him. So being able to, to work as you move and being able to decipher what you need to do now and what you can do later, that's being, being able to, do, uh, to heal on the go. And see, you know, you bring up a good point because I, ta- I like to talk about this all the time. You have to be able to be a quick thinker and a quick thinker on your feet and make decisions fast. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and in, you know, in a civilian's application, you're probably not going to walk around the corner and see someone you know, stabbed and all that nonsense. It may for for you guys, or you know, for everyone else, it may just be you sprained your ankle. You've got to walk another mile to get to where you're going because you can't fix it out in the middle of the woods. Or um, your daughter fell and broke her arm, and you don't have cell service out where you're at, so you're going to have to fix it once you get to a place where you can call nine one one. Yeah. Well, and but you never know. I mean, a civilian may find somebody laying down bleeding. I mean, you know, hopefully not. I mean, but you know, it could be a family member. God forbid, it could be somebody that you know, or or even if it's a stranger. And you need to know how to act. Absolutely, absolutely. And, well, and that's that's something else I, I'll uh, I'll bring up a little bit later on. Um, you need to know what you know the signs and symptoms mean. So what's normal and what's not normal. So Getting hit from getting hit in the head from falling, you know, is it a brain bleed or is it just someone that got their clock cleaned? You know, it got another story. Um, I was working with uh, on an ambulance and we got dispatched to a headache, which it may sound cold, but we run so many calls that turn out to be absolute nonsense. Yeah. When you hear someone get dis when you get dispatched to headache, the first thing in your mind is really. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> really? We're getting dispatched on <laughs> um, But we get there. Gentleman was laying on the ground um, in his bedroom, just writhing in pain. And I had only been on the truck for a couple of months. And, of course, you know, I've, I've got that mindset of this is, this is a crap call. Uh, but my paramedic, she kind of she honed in on, on small little things that I didn't pick up. And that comes from experience and education. Uh, turns out he had a significant brain bleed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Found that out after we got him to the hospital, and 
uh, he went in and they shipped him directly up to um, surgery. So this wasn't just a simple headache? No. No. So, again, in, in someone's in you know, everyone else's application, you know, it may just be this, that possibility that, okay, well, it may just be a headache, but I need to look for smaller signs and symptoms to tell the dispatcher or tell the EMS personnel when they arrive what uh, what you saw and what's different because it's all about what's what's not normal. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, being able to uh, react from a position of strength uh, is something that we are always taught that if you don't know what you're doing, fake it, which is horrible to hear, but you have to come out of a position of strength. Someone else from your crew will know that you have no idea what you're doing and they'll take over. That's, that's working together all the time. Um, you have to be able to silence that screaming that's in your head while working on someone that you love. Oh, now that's a good point. Repeat that one again. You have to be able to silence the screaming in your head while working on someone you love. Right. Um, every firefighter loves his crew. Um, and even the people that he argues with <clears throat> in and pay out and cracks jokes on and, and you know, just finds any way possible just to, to crack a joke on them, still love them just the same. And let me stop you right there. I mean, you know, you're talking from a perspective of a firefighter, but I think what you're saying applies a lot to an ordinary civilian as well. There's going to be that screaming in your head, and you have to learn to tone that down and to silence that, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah Why? Why? Because if you if that comes to a point where... You've got, you know, you're in your mind, you're working on someone, and in your mind, you're just, oh my God, what's going on? And I, I don't, I've never seen this before, and what do I do? You're going to focus on the negatives. All the negatives are going to come up, and it's, you're not going to have any any um, solutions that are going to come about. So you're not going to look at everything in an objective form. You're going to look at everything in an emotional form, and you're going to make mistakes. Very good point. Um, that's why... Uh, when we go on CPR calls, um, it looks like organized chaos, but we all know exactly what we're doing. We know that, um, you know, if, if we look over and this person's sweating profusely, uh, another worker is sweating profusely, they're probably screaming in their mind. They need to be switched out for someone new, and they need to step back and take a deep breath, and it it all takes time and it takes experience. Well, and it takes time, it takes experience, and it takes a level head. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've come home and my wife has cut her finger and she's freaking out and I need to go to the hospital. We need to call 911. Well, no, just run around the tap and see if, see how deep it is. Let's, let's look at this objectively. And, it's gotten to a point where she kind of, she knows it's necessary to be uh, level-headed and necessary to be um, objective about everything, but it really irritates her when I say that um, you're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> yeah, but we all do that from time to time. Oh, yeah. Um, you got to be a decision maker. You know, do we stay or do we go? I mean, that's, that's the whole mantra of bugging in or bugging out. Um, I think a lot of us have decided that nine times out of ten we're going to bug in, but do you have 
have the ability to make that decision, okay, we can't stay here any longer, we are leaving. Um, that, that's happened a couple of times, not the whole bugging or bugging out thing, but are we in the right place? Uh, you know, my wife and I walking downtown in the middle of the night, and we get a couple of strange, you know, people that are walking by give us some strange looks, and it comes to my attention that we are not in a place that we need to be. So I made the decision, we need to leave. And that's irritated her a couple of times, but I needed to make that decision. Right. And what, what influenced that decision? Perception. What did you perceive? Uh, danger. Okay. Uh, I perceived that, um, that if, um, if we stayed here, that there could have been a problem. Uh, we could either gotten mugged, she, she could have gotten, I could have got hit on the head, knocked out, and, you know, worst case scenario is always kind of, always kind of play out, at least in your mind. Okay, so you perceived the danger. There were warning signs. How did you communicate that to your wife? Um, I pretty much just made the decision of, hey, let's 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 go back to the car. She, wait, what? Why are we going back to the car? Yeah, let's, let's just go back to the car. We're, let's head down the street. Uh, we'll, we'll go to this uh, this other place to go for dinner or wherever. I can't remember where we were going, but uh, we'll, we'll head down here and and, and you know, get out of this area. And eventually she kind of picked up on the whole thing about was kind of not normal and kind of freaking out a little bit. And so she kind of played along. And when we got in the car, I explained to her that we'd been getting dirty looks for the past while. And people had been looking at her engagement ring. And people had been, I could see people looking at her engagement ring and looking at me and sizing me up. And uh, really wasn't happy about all that. Yeah. All right. Good. So you're, that situational awareness was very good. You kind of you picked up on a lot of the uh, warning signs. Sure, that's that's. Uh, I spent that entire time trying to come up with that uh, that one sentence. But yes, don't live in the state of oblivion. Live in the state of a of of an aware person. There you go. That's perfect. Good. Well, Clay, you also sent me some notes. Something about. Uh, getting back to this um, this EPA subject, the uh, Executive Protection Agent for your family, you said you basically sent me in your notes. You, you sometimes ask the question: Is this a situation where you have to shoot or not? Right. Um, in any situation, you've got to make the decision on whether or not is this what I would. Uh, I'm sure other people. There's a better way of calling it, but is this a legal shot or not? So if Am I following all of the uh, you know the four rules of a justified self-defense? Uh, and I pulled all of these directly out of the booklet that I got from uh, when I took my uh, carry concealed weapons course. You know, is is does the citizen believe deadly force is, is necessary to prevent imminent threat of death or great bodily harm? Uh, did the facts and circumstance prompting that belief would cause a person of ordinary firmness to believe deadly force was necessary? The citizen using deadly force was not an uh, instigator or aggressor who voluntarily right. provoked, entered, you know, all that good stuff, and then force was not excessive. So, and I added in, I, am I possibly going to hurt someone else in this process? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, and, and you know what? Those are very good 
and I teach those, I do have a little bit of an issue with the last one, which says, you know, that the force was used, was it, was it more aggressive, or was it too excessive, or greater than reasonably needed? Well, you know what? <laughs> My attitude is that is you gotta use force great enough to get rid of the attack. And I don't care, I don't care whether somebody else thinks that it was overly aggressive. You know, if they were not in that situation, I don't think that they really have a right to make that judgment. I think you have a right to decide what is going to get rid of this threat. And, you know, sometimes if you don't use force greater than your threat, you won't get rid of the threat. Sure. That that was really well put. So, you know... I, I do have a little bit of a problem with that one. You know, it's like there are some states that have state laws that say, well, you can't use force greater than your than your attacker. Excuse me? What? What do you mean? I mean, that, come on. Somebody wants to kill you and you can't use force greater than they are to stop them? That's just, that's kind of ludicrous. So I think even though, I think, I think it's appropriate for people to understand that point. And again, like I said, I teach it. I think it's also important at the same time for you to understand you've got to use whatever force necessary to stop whatever the threat is, whatever is necessary. I don't 100% agree with that. Yeah, thank you. But those are good. Those are good. Um, uh, so you determine whether this is something illegal shot or not. And then I like your next point in your notes, being a great driver. Yeah, that's, that's being... Uh, <clears throat> That's definitely something. But before we get to that, um, what I wanted to add about the uh, is this a legal shot? If it's not, you're not going to be able to really take care of your family behind bars, which is why you have to know all of this stuff um, in the beginning. Good point. Um, But being a great driver, um, I I say I like to pride myself in being a pretty decent driver. I mean, I I drive a $175,000 fire truck down the road. Um, but, you know, there's, there's been times where I have, um, I've almost bit the dust with it, um, with that in my, in, in my personal vehicle because people freak out. You have to be perceptive of what other people are doing. And you take a small, you know, vehicle and you take it down the road and you think, oh, someone's about to pull out. This person's about to pull out in front of me. You need to be able to, or be prepared to hit your brakes and, and okay, am I going to put it? In, you know, am I going to throw the car off this side of the road, or is it safer to go over here? You know, having all of these thoughts go through your mind, you know, while driving and doing it in a, in a big red truck flying up and down the road, um, it's it, it, it's a whole another game doing something like that. Yeah. But being in a stressful situation and being able to block out unnecessary distractions is 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 key to doing stuff like that. I mean. Yep. Yeah, and what do you mean by, excuse me, what do you mean by being able to move people out of the way quickly? Um, I think that's well, in your notes. Um, being able to move people out of the way um, mentally, I would say. Uh, if you've got, you know, kids in the background that are screaming and you've got a, uh, a spouse sitting beside you that, that's barking orders at you, why didn't you take this exit? Why don't you do this? And then you've got some guy in front of you that's, not being a, uh, a a polite gentleman, trying you know you, you're trying to trying to move around on the on the highway and being able to block out the the uh, the unnecessary distractions of your kids yelling in the background or your spouse block, um, 
uh, barking orders at you and being able to move those people out of the forethought of your mind and trying to keep, you know, the wheels on the road. Okay, I got you now. Okay. That was something I had a question about. I saw that in your notes, and I was wondering what you meant by that. Okay, so you've also got in here um, that a lot goes into being an executive protection agent. For example, having different kinds of certifications and classes under your belt. Right. Um, Just doing a quick search online, um, I mean, you can come up with a page and a half of classes that you have to take before legally under the uh, under uh, under US law being able to consider yourself an executive protection agent but I'm just going to say it right here that you don't really need too many certifications to take care of your family that's true um, you know having qualities of being an, an effective uh, agent for your family you know they need, they need to trust you hopefully they, they trust you um, but they need to be able to trust you you need to have experience with being able to safely direct your family in, in, in times of need. So, worst case scenario, you're in a mall with, you know, three other people being your family, you know, your wife and two kids, and shots ring out. You know, being able to somehow or another, you know, hurdle everyone into one spot and then move, um, that would definitely be uh, a benefit. Um, you know, taking classes and certifications... Um, maybe taking classes like what you teach yep. with, um, you know, beyond concealed carry and maybe even getting your concealed carry. Yeah. And what you're referring to, what you're referring to is you obviously listen to my other show, the Handgun World podcast, and Ben Branham and I teach Beyond Concealed Carry. And we teach, you know, basically it is what the title says. It's just your next step beyond your concealed carry license. It it begins to introduce you and teach you to the defensive use of your handgun, which, by the way, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the class you have to take to get your concealed carry license does not prepare you for the defensive use. It, it prepares you to think about things like, well, is this a legal shot or not? And, and it talks about the four rules of a justified self-defense, like you mentioned earlier, but it does not teach you how to win the fight. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. I mean, for me, I when I got my concealed carry, it was you know me sitting in a classroom for a couple of hours and then going down to a shooting range and, and putting lead down range. Really, it wasn't that far of a far of a shot. It was pretty pretty close. Even even the girl that was standing on the very very end um, doesn't have to be a girl, but even the person standing at the very very end that was you know freaking everybody out because you know she kept turning around. Uh, looking at the instructor standing behind him with, you know, with the gun accidentally pointing in their direction, you know, even she got because uh, she got that because well she met everyone's expectations. Right. Um, yeah, that was that was a pretty interesting afternoon. Yeah. But um, you know, you can develop some of your qualities. Um, maybe going, you know, beyond your concealed carry and watching some of the uh, the YouTube videos. Masada Ayub comes out with some really great ones, uh, things that you really should put in the back of your mind. Um, I, I, that was, uh, I saw a couple of them where you know, people getting approached, going to their vehicles, getting approached for, hey, you, know, you have a couple, of dollar, you, you know, a couple of dollars you can spare, and they just keep getting closer and closer and closer to the person. Um, and, and, and you know, getting closer to their vehicle and 
how to how to perceive the danger that's coming from that uh, that situation. Yeah, you know, and I think most of us listening to this have been approached by people like that. And I think the vast majority of them mean no harm, but it doesn't matter. All it takes is one of them to mean harm. And that was basically the event that happened to me back in 2005, which is one of the reasons why I decided to get my uh, concealed carry license at that time. So, you know, keeping your mind aware of what's going on, because there's a lot of people that don't have the situational awareness to think about what's going on and when somebody like that approaches them. Well, I've, I've actually, and this, is, this isn't in the notes, but I've uh, taken uh, Alex Haddix's uh, approach to, uh, to situations like that, and I usually keep a folded up dollar bill in my pocket, and if someone approaches me, hey, do you got a dollar you can spare, boom, I've got it out, handed it to them, and I'm on my way. You know, the least amount of uh, contact with, with, um, with people is, with those kind of people are generally the... And those kind of people being bad people, not not people that are uh, homeless and need help, but you know people that are wanting to cause you harm. Right. Uh, the least amount of contact with a, with a potential of that kind of person is, is is best. And I think if if a person just uses their head, they can discern between somebody that has a great potential to cause you harm or somebody who just happens to be in severe need. I, there's a big difference there. And, and again. That comes from experience, and that comes from you know thinking ahead with with uh, protecting your family. Yeah, Clay. If I can ask you to jump ahead in the notes a little bit, um, one thing I like there, you talk about five survival needs, um, which many of us know the five basics: the food, water, shelter, energy, or fire, and then security. Give us your take on that. Well, you've got to um, you've got to look at you know overall protection. So, just because we've been, you know, talking about uh, going through and, you know, keeping your keeping your head on a swivel and watching what everyone's doing and perceiving what could happen, you you can't forget about everything else. You can't forget about having stocked food. You can't forget about having water that you can immediately access to uh, to drink. You can't forget about you know having a shelter that it's that's in uh, good upkeep or. Being able to um, to cook food, you know, with with energy and fire, security is just one of the five things that that needs to be uh, looked at. Yeah, it's just one of them, and the I mean, it, a lot of people put too much emphasis on it, and they forget to focus a lot on the other four. One thing I like you said in your notes: you eat three to four times a day. That's good. Now, think about that from your preparation standpoint. So you also have to structure your preps so that you can have your your four meals a day, for example. I assume they're probably relatively smaller meals. Well, yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I kind of eat on the go around here. I've got a lot of stuff i got to do outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've never shot anybody. And well, that's good. That's a good thing. The will, will, will hold steady, but... And that, that's kind of how I've got everything structured around here. It's, you know, I, I eat a good bit, of, a, a lot more than what I do shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Now, I, I'd like you to jump, ask you to jump back in your notes. I wanted you to jump forward before. Now I'm going to ask you to jump back. You, you bring up a real good point earlier in these notes you sent me 
that people need to know the addresses of local places like their fire department, police, U.S. embassy and hospital. Talk, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Talk about why you think that's important. Well, in, in the notes, uh, this was talking about uh, I was talking about my trip when I went to uh, Costa Rica and I had already figured out, okay, where's the local fire department? Because I don't know their, their dispatch system. Because, you know, around here, if you call 911, you're not talking to the person that's going to talk to us. You're talking to someone that's getting the information and then shooting that information to somebody else to talk to us. Um, over there, or in other countries, I have no idea how it works. Um, and you're probably not going to learn that just by looking on the Internet. But knowing where the fire department is, knowing where the police uh, office is, Big one, if you're going out of the country, is knowing where the U.S. Embassy is. But something that people don't really think of is where are the hospitals and what are their capabilities? Right, right. And because, what does it take to get in there? Right, right. Well, in certain hospitals around, um, like I, I live in North Carolina. One of the biggest places, around, uh, the biggest city around here is Charlotte. In Charlotte, there are, I think, four or five hospitals and each one has a really big, um, has something that they're really good at. So this one over here has a really good trauma uh, department. This one over here is really good with cancer. This one over here is really good with, you know, this, that, and the other. But knowing the capabilities of the hospital that are around you so that you can accurately say, because, you know, baby paramedic that, or baby medic that gets on the truck for the first time, you go to the, you know, they come to your house and they're like, okay, well, what hospital do you want to go to? They're not going to know which one is uh, which hospital is better than the other for right. your specific uh, problem. Right, and you know, uh, Clay, people have asked me before, what about what about travel security? What about travel survival? And you're talking about a couple of them, about four very important aspects of travel survival. And you know, during your trip to Costa Rica, you mentioned a couple of other things like knowing the landscape. That that's important. Well, if you if you go online and you look at Haco, uh, Costa Rica, it looks like a, a crescent moon where all of the water kind of funnels into this one spot. And beautiful beach. I mean, I've never seen a black sand beach in my entire life, but I was on it for the first. It was awesome. Um, two huge mountains on both sides. And if you can imagine, you know, me sitting here looking at it going, okay, well, what if there's an earthquake? Which, by the way, I knew... Kind of how often earthquakes happen around in that area. Um, but anyway, what happens if there's an earthquake off and all of a sudden you've got a tsunami? Where's all that water going to come in at? And sure enough, it's probably going to funnel right to that one spot. So where's the quickest way or escape to higher ground? Yeah, good sure point. The residents kind of have that in the back of their mind, but us coming in out of, you know, fresh out of the United States, I have no idea. Yeah, and you also in your notes talk about understanding the different uniforms of people uh, when you travel, especially like when you travel out of the country, what do the police wear? What do the federal police wear? What do the taxi drivers wear? People like that. I would imagine what do the fire department, what do the, what, what do the firemen wear? That's important too. Right. Um, it, it, come to find out in, uh, in Hakko, the police have uniforms and the federal police do not. So any, any person could walk up to you and say, hey, I'm uh, a federale. And you have no idea if they're if they're lying to you or not. So how do you how do you discern uh, the difference between the two? 
Yeah. This is good stuff. This is good stuff, uh, especially for people who are going to travel out of their country. And I have international listeners to this show. So you might be going from your wherever you live to another country. It's important to know this kind of stuff. Right. And well, there's a, you know, if, you, if you ask for a badge, can, you know, do they have to present their badge to you kind of thing? Um, yeah. Come to find out, taxi drivers in Hako, you can wake up one morning and go, huh, you know what? I think I want to drive a taxi today and slap a taxi sticker on the side of your vehicle and boom, you're a taxi driver. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, if you go on the, um, uh, I've got it pulled up, uh, just go on uh, travel.state.gov and you can pick wherever you're wanting to go um, and it'll give you information and stuff like that. And just with a little bit of extra work, you can figure out that, okay, well, the legal taxi drivers, the ones that are supposed to, or that, you know, have gone through all the training and stuff like that and have certifications, um, they have a sticker that looks exactly like this. So you're able to discern the, the difference between someone that just woke up today and said, I want to be a taxi driver, and someone that actually does one for a uh, is a taxi driver for a living. And you need to know that kind of stuff when you're going to go, whether it's to another country or not, um, you, you, you need to know that. Yeah, good stuff. I want to wrap this up shortly. Um, talk a little bit. Go ahead and talk a little bit about your podcast. I love the name of it, the Skilled Gentleman Podcast. And where can people find it? What do you generally talk about on that show? Give us some details. Well, pretty much with um, with uh, with the Skilled Gentleman Podcast, it's mainly developing manliness, um, and in a way that we've been told that. Well, this is not really what a man does. You know, with, with us growing up and or me growing up watching or having in the background, you know, Jersey Shore and all the stuff that saying that you're supposed to be a man because you do this or, you know, the loudest person gets, uh, the, the loudest and most flamboyant person gets the, gets the girl or the bad guy gets the girl, whatever. It's not true. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of things that are not true. And then looking back and saying, wow, my grandfather really got things right. My grandfather, I just got done building a chicken coop. And um, it was in an old barn or an old shed. And the whole thing is, is it's old enough to where nothing's level anymore. And I went out there and was building it. And my grandfather had taught everything that he knows about woodworking. And he walked out there, and he made notice that, wow, there's nothing that's, that's actually level out here. And then he dropped, I, I said, nothing's level except for what I built. And I dropped a level down on one, one of the lay boxes. And that would be the first time in my life I ever heard him say, that's my boy. <laughs> that's great. Just having that kind of feeling and, and honoring the people that have, have brought you up in the past, that right there is kind of, kind of how I'm wanting to structure the podcast. Influential people in history, being you know, man, woman, it doesn't matter. It's people that actually make a difference for the good, for the good of people. And being able to educate yourself and being able to you know, discern, you know, to, to differentiate the difference between, okay, yeah, this person is bad, but I can learn from that person. I can learn how to, how to be a good person because they were a bad person. It's kind of like I had a really bad boss, and I'm going to be a really good boss because I don't want to be like that guy. 
Yeah, that's awesome. You have a you have a post in a podcast here on your website that I like called 10 Things That Your Grandfather Got Right. I, I just kind of briefly read through that, and I like it a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, our grandparents really got a lot of things right. And my uh, my father done pretty much anything that he could think of to uh, uh, to raise myself and my sister the best he could. And of course, my mother and my grandmother and so forth and so on done the best they could. But you know, taking the good from the things that well, the things that worked from the things that really didn't work. Um, skills, man, skills that that people should know that they don't really know anymore. Uh, things like that. Yeah, those, that's great. Those are things that we need to we need to kind of go back to and and, and and learn from. Well, and I think these ten things your grandfather got right. I'm not going to talk about them here on the show because I want people to actually go there and look at it. And I, I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes to it. I think it's it's awesome. Um, and I and you know they did get a lot of things right. And that's what a lot of people forget about today is that survival and prepping. Is really nothing new. It's a lot of it's what our our, our grandparents and our great grandparents did. And, and that's exactly what I talked about on here. That when you think survivalist and prepper, you think of doomsday preppers, and you think of all the crazy uh, nutheads that run around with beans, bullets, and band aids, and that's all they buy, and they get trailers of of all this stuff, and they don't remember, you know, the grand you know, grandparents in the summertime canning food because well. I can can it pretty cheap right now instead of buying it uh, for premium later. Right. Yeah, good stuff. Clay, thanks for coming on the show. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, but uh, I appreciate it. That's great that you came on here, and uh, I'm glad you got this podcast going called the Skilled Gentleman Podcast. And uh, as usual, I'm going to start a thread on today's Survival Show forum about this, and I'm, I'm assuming you'll be able to take people's questions and things on that, right? Sure. And if, if for some reason I forget my password and all that good stuff with, with the form, they can always uh, email me at skillgentleman at gmail.com or on the Facebook page or the Twitter page or, um, you know, wherever we've got social media um, or just in the comments. And I'll be happy to happy uh, to help you with your login on the forum. Cool. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Clay. Have a good one and uh, keep prepping on, okay? Yeah, and thank you. You're welcome. All right, thank you, Clay. As you've learned, he's also a podcaster, the Skilled Gentleman Podcast. You can go to skillgentleman.com or you can search it on iTunes. I did, and I didn't really know about his podcast, so now I'm going to start listening because I like to listen to a lot of good shows, too. Once again, Clay, thank you very much. He is on the forum. I'm going to start a thread in the sub-forum comments about podcasts, so please become a member of today's Survival Show Forum. If you're not, go to todayssurvival.com. Remember, there are two S's in that uh, web address, todayssurvival.com. Click the forum button, register, send me an email. My email is bob at todayssurvival.com. Give me your username and your password, and I'll get your account approved right away, and you can start posting in the forum pretty quickly. So if you do that, I'd appreciate that and hopefully we uh, some of you will, will get you'll, you'll choose to do that and communicate and converse if you have questions. That's one of the best ways to do it, especially about this uh, interview. All right, with that said,
Thanks for listening to another episode of today's survival show. I'm Bob Main. It is my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time. Goodbye.